This is Jim Semivan, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. No big intro this time. We're going to dive right into it. Joining me to look at the news from the last week or so, I have Dan. Dan, welcome back. Hi, hi. Pleasure to be here, as always. It's been a busy week. It has. What have you been doing? Um, Fighting power cuts, snow, weather, that kind of thing. Eating really good cheeseburgers as well. Big up. I was going to say. Doc, Doc Barnes in Vermont. Excellent. Other cheeseburger facilities are available. I think you have to say that legally. Um, <laughs> unless they want to pay me, I don't know. Um, <laughs> burgers, sending them to the UK. Uh, and yeah, I think we both had a few days not on the socials too much. Hmm. Um, so for anyone who is on UFO Twitter and such, you probably saw there was some fun and fighting this week and all that kind of jazz not going to cover it because what's the point it's just a bit senseless when there's actual news to talk about to be honest Um, what's what's the policy drama isn't content ufo stuff is content right yeah um although uh, i am recording straight after this my new show drama is content Um, (laughs) so yeah it's very much in its wheelhouse i'm going through um deep fakes that i'm creating right now um no, yeah, there's a lot of proper news to talk about. And I think, Dan, I've, even though this is not the order, I have my notes. I think let's kick off with the DOD report that came out yes. on the 25th of June, I think I want to say, 25th of June, 24th of... Oh my God, it's not June, January. That's the one. January. The reason you were confused is because this report came out ages about, ago, but we've been waiting did. for a while. But we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So the DOD report, which I've got up here... Um, Press release, January 25th, evaluation of the DOD's actions regarding unidentified anomalous phenomena. Um, just in short, it basically is Inspector General Robert P. Storch announced today the DOD OIG released an unclassified summary, which always means the boring stuff, more or less. Um, the classified stuff would be where some of the juicier things that we really want to see and talk about would be obvious. Well, we assume that. You know, we assume it. We do, um, and it- there, there are a few nods in here to the classified portion yeah. with really boring stuff that was in the non-classified version. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but the report reviewed the extent to which the DOD, military services, defence, etc., etc. I'm going to paraphrase. Um, basically seemed to be failing all round when it comes to UAP. I think that was the overwhelming point from this was here's a report which basically says do you know what we don't cover this very well. We're not entirely sure what we're covering. We don't really have the setup to cover it. And then we're going to get to this separately. Sean Kirkpatrick says that Arrow found no evidence of anything interesting. So on one hand, it would seem that whoever's trying to report on this and uncover what they're trying to uncover are saying, we don't have the funds, the setup, the know-how, the wherewithal, the people, um, the will, it seems at times. And on the (laughs) other side, there's a department headed up by a guy who's just left saying, we found nothing. When we talk about compartmentalization, when we talk about obfuscation, when you talk about, and I'm not even going to say conspiratorial lies because that's, you know, other people like to do that and they might be right, they might be wrong, who knows, crack on. However, sometimes it just comes down to lack of, actually, I don't think Sean Carpatic really cared about the subject ever. Not that you should, I think, be a UFO guy to do this, um, but also I think it just shows you that these are all human beings mostly, I'm sure, um, running these things. And they are making human mistakes, human errors. They've got human capacity for laziness, over oversights, overstepping. And it's just a bit of a mess all in, Dan. Is that 
fair. That's what I'm kind of taking from this. Yeah, a, a, a mess all in is about right. We're looking at a bureaucracy and a whole bunch of tape and a whole bunch of different access levels and compartmentalization. And this is the problem that we've had for decades with this, that information isn't shared. And it's getting to a point where it's starting to look better. But one, one of the big things to come out of this and a recent op-ed that Sean Kirkpatrick did is that Arrow isn't at full operational capacity and expects to hit that this year. Yet... When we look back, you know, when you, when you've kind of followed this along, the DoD likes to pretend that the UAP task force and AIMSOG or AOIMSG um, were different things. When it's just the same structure being passed along, so really, it's not that they've had a year to get this up and running. They've had three or four years to get this up and running, and we're still not at the point where we've got uh, a decent structure, a decent organization a decent reporting mechanism or guidance. And, and this is really what this report gets into, i.e. you've had so much time to do this and you're still not issuing guidance to the rest of the, the organizations under you know, the belt of the American military. And there are a bunch of recommendations that come in here. They said there were 11 in there, but there are only six in the unclassified report. And those recommendations mostly consist of stop waiting for Arrow, get on with it yourselves, which just makes me think, well, what's the point in Arrow then? Also, it makes you start to wonder, random thought time here, what are you all actually looking for here? And I know we're looking uh-huh. going, well, tellers us aliens, right? So let's forget that they're actually going to do that and go with the probably fair assumption that a lot of the folks working on these departments don't actually know where the bodies are, where the craft are, that there is such a thing as aliens, non-human intelligences or whatever, that they are generally coming in to do a job. What even is the task or remit? How do you sit down at a table and go, okay, thanks for joining us, everyone here today on this Zoom call. This is day one. We're going to throw about some ideas here. How do we go forward to work out, well, what are we working out? Are there aliens? Well, no, that's not what we're working out. Okay, what are these things in the sky? Yeah, how do we start how do we start doing that? Oh, they're under the water as well. Ah, okay. And they're in space. Ah, right, okay. It must be an absolute mess to even start doing this. And I think that's probably why half the time you mentioned AIMSOG and Arrow and various different iterations of the same organizations doing the, the same thing or different things. It's like in the UK, we've got a horrendously owned evil empire called Sports Direct run by, <laughs> run, run by one of the worst human beings on the planet for various different reasons, right? I was like, is it Weatherspoons or Sports Direct? And you went for Sports Direct. 50-50. But people in the UK might remember, we used to have various different names for this company, which started up and then restarted. And we had Sports Soccer and Soccer World and eventually Sports Direct. But they just kept restarting it again. It's the same company. Same same thing, selling the same stuff with the same staff. But like you say, they're all doing the same thing. So this is what's kind of annoying with all of this. But I think for many of us, we lost any faith in Arrow a long time ago. Um, and it's interesting to see within this report, like you say, Dan, look, forget what Arrow's doing. Let's, you know, start looking at this ourselves. But why is that the case? Well, you would have hoped that... So there's a there's a little section in the report where uh, Kirkpatrick... Um, oh, sorry, it wasn't in the report. It was in a separate interview, a podcast uh, with an outlet, I think CNN, uh, a reporter named Bergen. And Kirkpatrick said to him, the officer's mission is not to prove the existence of extraterrestrials. The officer's mission is to minimize technical and intelligence surprise. So essentially, a day in the life of Arrow is probably 
going into the office, looking at a whole bunch of paperwork of just signals that are something. They don't know what they are. They're just something. And then they investigate them. And obviously, there are a whole you know swath of signals that are interesting but are not explored. This was the whole thing with the filters and the shoot downs. You know, mm-hmm. the filters are really narrow so that they can identify things. And anything outside of that is an anomaly. Um, doesn't mean, you know, it's not a bird, it's just a erroneous reading. So yeah. those guys are, are going through that task of going one by one through those reports and just trying to figure them out. We know what it gets like on UFO Twitter, right? Um, when when people are arguing over cases and things like that. Imagine doing that, except you've got 50 cases a day and you're trying to kind of find some substance in them but you just don't have the access to the information you need. And you not only don't have the access, you don't know that it exists because everyone swears that they're giving you all of the information that they yeah. have. And so you end up just in a rock and a hard place, right? And I think this is the this is the problem that it kind of gives a plausible deniability. You know, Kirkpatrick can say no evidence of extraterrestrials in the evidence that he had. You know, there's that little asterisk next to it. We already had him last year telling Congress simultaneously that he didn't have Title 50 access, so he couldn't get to all the information he needed, but also that they had all the information they needed and these things weren't ET. Both of those things can't be true. And something highlighted in this report is that the office hasn't had you know, a, a decent approach to this subject. So how can you speak authoritatively on what it's found when you know it hasn't had a decent access? You know, And that's the contradiction I think that a lot of people are struggling with. And this wishy-washy area that Sean occupies. There was um, an event at the Hayden Center not too long ago where Sean Kirkpatrick came and he, he spoke and he got a bunch of questions and it was right after he exited Arrow and became like a private citizen. And he was tailed by Susan Goff, the, the spokesperson for the DOD. Now, that might have been innocuous, right? Like that might just been they became friends while they were working and he invited her and they got some drinks after and that was that. But the way it looks and the optics and everything like that, it's just... I feel like they're feeding into the conspiracy theories and I'm not sure if they realize they are, you know? But you say even, again, to play devil's advocate, because I saw a lot of the stuff around that and it would just literally be assumptions and speculation and trying to put Mm -hmm. something on it that may or may not be there. I suppose that's a lot of the UFO topic, to be fair. But (laughs) you, you say he's left Arrow. Is there no world where it still makes sense that she is there for various different reasons, even in a professional capacity? That's not to say she's there to make sure he doesn't talk about aliens, because I think people sometimes maybe confuse how much or what Susan Goff knows about Mm -hmm. the subject. I don't think her job is to lie about UFOs. Just part of it. Um, But, you know, so I I saw the picture. I don't think that was the biggest deal. And with all of this, it just sounds to me, Dan, if I said to you, there's a hotel here, okay, and I'm going to let you in and you can stay here for a week. Um, in this hotel, one of those rooms, one of the occupants has a million dollars and that million dollars is yours as long as you can find the room yourself and also ask them the right questions to get the money. On you go. But the rooms, it's got a thousand rooms. How how would you start, Dan? Um, I'm going to waterboard you to find the room. I don't know the room. I've just been told, that, <laughs> I've just been told the room exists. But I mean, you just walk through the hotel looking at different rooms, right? Like just yep. opening every single door. They're locked. Oh, they're locked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a hotel. It's an actual hotel. I guess I got to go to the front desk and everything's filtered through that front desk person. Okay. They are just a receptionist. They don't know. 
Yeah, exactly. I see exactly you, what you're getting you, you're at. You're going to start knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah, you start knocking on doors. Some people answer. Some people don't. Some people have went out. Some people might not be back till next week. Sometimes you knock on a door, and by the time you've got three corridors along, someone else is in the room you've knocked on before. Maybe that's the person you have to speak to now, but you're past that room. Maybe yeah, some people you knock on the door of who give you some advice are actually looking for the same thing you are but they give you bad advice to throw you off the scent. Maybe they just don't want to give you the advice. And I think that's what a lot of this looks like when you, you listen to somebody. If you think of him as just a public figure, Tom DeLong, who got a lot of interesting access, that's what he was essentially doing, was just going about having conversations with folks. But he had money and connections that we don't have, you know, and he was just doing this as a kind of part-time hobby. Um and that's what a lot of the subject is like. So I think it's just really shown up arrow for for what it was and what it is. Um, I think going back, because if anyone wants to go back and go, ha, YouTube are massive proponents of arrow. I think we were willing at the time it was announced and Sean Kirkpatrick was confirmed to give it a chance. And yeah. I almost, and my memory is terrible, as you know, I almost remember saying that it's probably a good thing the guy's not really a UFO person, Sean Kirkpatrick. And I still mm. say the best thing would be having a proper, neutral individual in this, but also not one that can't be open-minded because I think that would be the best way forward for this. I don't think you should put a Lou Elizondo in charge of this or a Gary Nolan in charge of this who have you know that sort of connection or you know friendly towards the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you should put, you know, Susan Goff in charge of it, or Michael Schirmer, or Mick West, like just the, yeah, the other end of the spectrum, to, right? I was trying not to name names, but yeah, the, the other people who just really aren't into this subject in that way, yeah, it's got to be someone impartial and neutral, and I don't even and know if that really exists. This this has kind of been the space that David Grush has occupied, right? Like the when when he came out to us. He was all, you know, I'm not really a UFO person. I started looking into this and I was amazed by what I found and, you know, the rabbit hole deepened and this is where I found. Um, but yeah, so, someone asked me yesterday, you, you know, who, who would you want on a panel? I was just like, I want people that I don't know. I want people that have nothing to do with this subject and nothing to do with the skeptical side of the subject and nothing to do with the DOD and military and stuff like that. You know, I just want straight shooter down the middle, complete transparent, full access to the data and just see what they say. And the some people that might disagree. I think I, I made this point numerous Absolutely. times recently. Have some folks on there who might butt heads a little bit in a positive way. Yeah, that might progress the conversation forward. You know, find common ground. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think there's a. We've definitely spoken about this before about who people would listen to, and I think there's definitely a danger here of. This report has been a good example of it, where Sean Kirkpatrick says no ET. And then a bunch of people don't believe him just because he's a government official. But then a bunch of us also don't believe him just because of some of the things that he said in the past and some of the things that his reporting has presented about these spheres that are floating and are found around the world. And, you know, that's that's an anomalous piece of data. That's weird. So why wouldn't he talk about those things? What if so, we didn't find ET? And we've had this discussion, haven't we? That, you know, what if that's correct? Yeah, we've not found any evidence of an yeah. extraterrestrial. Well, yeah. then, that that's exactly the thing right like like sean said that it's not they weren't there to prove the existence of extraterrestrials they don't know if it exists but then he's kind of way down the other side of the rabbit hole you know that op-ed he that he had opens with extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence that that wonderful quote by carl sagan but then sean says well i didn't find evidence therefore they don't exist 
And Carl Sagan also said, an absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So there's a there's a kind of an almost tug of war going on with this thing. And I think the debunkers assume that the believers just won't believe anyone and anything that they say, whereas the believers just won't agree with the debunkers. So this is why I want like this neutral space explore really with just like no don't include the believers don't include the debunkers just grab joe blogs off the street and let's have a conversation um would they do that i don't know because what were the last stats like 80 percent of americans believe in et so <laughs> it's really hard to get away from people who are already involved in this 2.4 million people think that schindler's list on imdb is the best movie Dan, <laughs> as we just spoke about before this and how many people again so many million think dark knight is the fourth best I said it was the best. You said it's awful. So again, just because a I'm going to get hate mail for thing, that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But just because a poll says one thing doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just mm-hmm. a snapshot of opinion, isn't it? We've kind of jumped over into two pieces of news because I was going to cover the Kirkpatrick op-ed piece anyway, but we've, we've talked about it quite a bit. The title of it, for me, said a lot, is here's what, in the, the op-ed piece, Sean Kirkpatrick released once he had officially left Arrow, he's moved on to his new role and everything now, uh, here's what I learned as the UFO government, uh, as the US government's UFO hunter. That Crazy. says a lot. Yeah, the phrasing's awful. That's that's tabloid, trashy headlines. Um, and I think it's enough to put people off or to make anyone who maybe has a neutral stance on this, who's looking into it to go, oh, I wonder what he was saying. As soon as they go, oh, UFO hunter, that's mm-hmm. it. That's is, You might as well slap the X-Files music and the little flying saucer flying over the top of it, you know, you, for comedy You almost effect. don't need him to say that they don't exist after that headline, right? Like, it's all inherent yeah. in that headline. And I know Sean didn't necessarily, you, you know, there might have been some editorial yeah. mucking about with that headline. But the fact is the conversation has grown up a little bit and it was really surprising in a disappointing way to see that tone struck by him. He could have said everything that he said in a completely non-inflammatory way. Um, and really it came down on the side of the, the kind of psyop narrative, right? Would you agree with that? Well, he, yeah, he, well, let's go through it. He did say there was kind of three things that Arrow and his time is more or less come to the conclusion of as such so word for word he said firstly no record exists of any president or living dod or intelligence community leader knowing about this alleged program nor any congressional committee having such knowledge this should speak volumes if this is if this case were if this were the case following typical procedure because it is inconceivable that a program of such import would not ever have been briefed to the 50 to 100 people at the top of the US government over the decades of its existence. So many assumptions. So many assumptions, some common sense, which I understand, but you're not talking about a common sense topic or subject here. Nope. And this might overlap again into the other piece of news talking about Diana Pasulka on Rogan, where she talks about the, the pencils up term that she she mm-hmm. uh, learned about um, some years ago, essentially, and we'll get into Diana Psalka's appearance on Rogan, which is pretty interesting. Um, the idea that so much of this topic isn't written down, isn't in files, it's not saved on computers or on paper, it's a conversation, and the term pencils up is literally, okay, Dan, me, you, and and other are in this room, I've got some information to share regarding a crash retrieval. Uh, pencils up, no one's recording anything. I'm going to tell you, and it is literally, I am telling you and this other person, that's how this information is stored. That is how it's passed on. And and after the Manhattan Project and the leaks that happened around there, 
we've heard from David Grush that this was the secrecy for this program was based on the Manhattan Project. They learn a hell of a lot in terms of keeping the secret and plugging holes. So you would expect this to be more robust in terms of its secret keeping. Word of mouth is not the best way of storing information. People change things, right? Like completely innocuously. That's the oldest way. Memory happens. Um, and yes, it's the oldest way. And and I do sometimes wonder if, you know, people in the past would just have a better memory than us because we rely on our phones and things like that to remember things. Whereas those people... You would imagine, would been... though, individuals hired to do those types of jobs, part of the remit for their, their hiring would be an aptitude for intelligence and memory, I'm guessing. You'd hope. So someone like me would have no chance. I don't remember an hour ago. I'm I'm awful. I can remember odd details from really random things, but my memory's pretty poor. That's why I write a lot of stuff down. Um, so yeah, I and I, and, and then you, all I you need that. is one of those people to want to step out of line and be killed, and there's a whole bunch of knowledge lost, right? And like, I, am it, I right in saying Eric Davis with the Wilson memo? It was a conversation that he then wrote down from memory later. Yes, that's apparently. That is purportedly what uh, occurred. Which makes sense. So, yeah, we can have a conversation. You can't record it, though. Yeah, no bother. As soon as you go home, brrr, wrote it down. Yep. And supposedly that was a, a private email that he sent out to a group of people that then leaked out years later. So to- totally reasonable that he would have communicated in shorthand what he experienced. And not everything would be 100% accurate. He's getting to the core of the conversation, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but that kind of makes it a... Just the way with memory, with how memory works, it kind of makes it a fiction problem in a way, right? <laughs> like you're dealing with stories and stories that might be embellished, stories that might be changed, stories that just might change over time naturally because every time you recall a memory, it changes. So it becomes a, a different kind of problem and, and really hard to grapple with because if something's written, not written down, you know, how does someone like David Grush check the veracity of a story if it's not written down you know there's no evidence for it technically yep. solid plausible deniability but also <laughs> makes the statement there is no record of a presidential blah 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 it makes that statement completely true and why would there be though yeah. like you see i, I, I get it thing to do right the second point sean kirkpatrick made was um Second, this narrative has been simmering for years and is largely an outgrowth of a former program at the DOD's Defence Intelligence Agency called ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. So just to jump in there, so it was a program. There, there was a lot of arm wrestling over there for a few years as to whether it was a program. The DOD said it wasn't. Here we are, the very guy that ran Arrow and supposedly toes the line saying it was a program. Anyway, sorry. I, I, oh. I, Dan, I can't. I just can't on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I'm just pointing out. Yeah. I, I know we've never been yeah. stuck on it. Yeah. Which was heavily influenced by a group of individuals associated with businessman and longtime ufologist Robert Bigelow, founder of Bigelow Aerospace. Um, in 2009, then Senator Harry Reid asked the Secretary of Defense to set up a special access program to protect the alleged UFO material that ATIP proponents believed the US government was hiding. The SECDEF declined to do so after a review by the Office of the Undersecretary of Defence for Intelligence and DIA concluded that not only did no such material exist, but taxpayer money was being spent on paranormal research at Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Um, Now, we know recently some of that was cleared up as to what the money was actually going to, and it was for Mm -hmm. storage and housing of materials and such. Um, This is well documented in open sources, particularly in records available on DIA's electronic foyer reading room. 
After the negative response by SecDef, Senator Reid then enlisted the help of then-Senator Joseph Lieberman to request that the Department of Homeland Security set up a special access programme for the same purpose. The Administrative Special Access Programme proposal package was informed by the same individuals who had been associated with ATIP. Arrow's archival research has located the administrative proposal for the Department of Homeland Security's Special Access Programme, complete with the participants, which has been declassified and is being reviewed for public release. A lot on that, right? But again, it's the same stuff we, we've, we've heard about before. I think it still lends to some individuals will come down on the story on one side and say it's all nonsense because of this. Others will come down the other side and say it's all real because of the same reasons. And the truth's probably somewhere in the middle. Yep. Is that that's what I, I would hundred percent with you. Like you always get these extremes in conversations, and usually the truth is somewhere in between. And you know, the, for, for me, I remember the, your conversation uh, with Black Vault, where you were talking about FOIA and how far FOIA actually goes in terms of giving you evidence. And there's evidence of, you know, uh, hijinks and just mucking around with the subject there. But in terms of actually uncovering a program why would there be evidence why would that be traditionally stored on paperwork and things like that and i think you and i have always kind of given that space to kind of say you know when jim semi van says to us the cia doesn't do those things anymore we're like yeah yeah wink wink you know you know like i I know how this works like the government can say one thing and be doing another with another arm and not necessarily maliciously either it could just be that you don't know about it i would expect you you've got to kind of keep that in mind right what one of my favorite things was when i spoke to jazz shaw some years ago journalist oh yeah and he, talk, rem- he talked about FOIA and you'll know what it's going to be I know exactly he, what he said he sent a FOIA request for a document and was told the document didn't exist when he already had the copy of the document mm-hmm. exactly and, it, and, and so there you go and that that's that's it and this isn't a whole FOIA argument but I just don't see why it's unreasonable that FOIA isn't infallible because we've got proof there that it it is fallible, um, that they wouldn't use it to their benefit that, you know, like you say, we'll we'll, we'll have on record what we want to have on record. Mm -hmm. And then I've had arguments with folks like friends about, you know, well, the the government, and I mean any government, it's illegal to, to destroy this or it's illegal not to declare this. And it's like, of course it is, but do you think they care because they get away with it? Look Absolutely. at all the stuff that governments and heads of governments and people involved in governments and particularly the military, look at what they get away with. So never mind the really boring, basic political stuff they lie about, you know, cocaine, hookers, criminal records, fraud, expenses, Take that up to the nth degree where we're talking about nuclear secrets and existence of something non-human, then of course they're going to do what they want and the rules don't apply. I, 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 I totally would expect that to happen. It doesn't surprise me. I don't see that as a conspiracy either. It just no, it makes sense. They, there's a certain level of, I, I guess it's need to know, right? Like you and I don't need to know. Every time Shout out to Ross Kiltart and Bryce yes, Sable. Heads up. <laughs> um, we, we don't need to know every time one of the ships in the British Navy come close to kicking off with an altercation with another country. That will yeah. be dealt with. That's kind of part and parcel of having the, you know, the, the forces there. I remember talking to a guy who was on the ship um, who he was like a friend of a friend and we just got into a conversation at a bar and he was saying like, I'm the guy that sits at the red button. And every day there's like four or five moments where I'm like, do I have to launch? And he said, 
never has happened, but it's really stressful. And it happens whilst you're just going about your day and you're nine to five. And if we told you every time it happened, there would be mass panic in the streets because you'd think World War Three was going to kick off every single day. It's not. And so there's a level of kind of need to know there to keep people sane, you know? Yeah. You expect that. Um, and yeah, it's it's frustrating when that buffer isn't kind of given. And, you know, I, I would say, and it, again, I think this is something we said before, like, yes, okay, take people at their word, but kind of check and read around it and kind of actually inform yourself about how these things work because it's never really as straightforward as people say it is. Um, and finally, the last point Sean Kirkpatrick made was the key purveyors of this narrative have known one another for decades. In the early 2000s, several members of this small group also participated in a study erroneously characterised by the same participants as having been sponsored by the White House on the possible societal impact of disclosing the existence of extraterrestrials to the public, with the authenticity of the above-mentioned concealed government programme taken as its baseline assumption. The think tank in question was a futures enterprise that often worked on fringe studies and many of the individuals involved with the study also worked for Bigelow Aerospace in support of the ATIP program. Um, uh, Galileo once worked on fringe studies showing that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. I I, I feel like that word is so loaded in there. Like just because something's fringe, it doesn't mean that it's nonsense. (laughs) And this is a hard thing to drill down on when I'm not intelligent enough or eloquent enough to do it but there's also so many things that okay this group of people worked on this doesn't mean they were all friends doesn't mean they're all in on a conspiracy they were hired to do a job and paid to do a job they then some of or most of them moved on to something else not all of them how do we know some of them didn't then fall out disagree move on change their own thinking go do you know what i'm not really into this anymore i'm going to move on to something else i'm now working on this program elsewhere i'm now getting involved in this area of science which has nothing to do with ufos um best of luck or do you know what i just don't like the way you lot are going about it that happens and i think i've said before like maybe use my stephen greer example based on nothing other than personal opinion i think 20 odd years ago Stephen Greer had some decent connections some decent knowledge and had the right idea I don't Mm -hmm. think he's in the same place now I Um, agree I just started listening to some of the old Art Bell classic interviews oh nice and he's just introduced a young and spunky Stephen Greer I think it was 1998 (laughs) um and I just started listening to it the other day so I need to go back to it it was literally the opening but it was so video right like so you can oh, see how people were back then i loved that it wasn't it was proper radio and it sounded like radio because it was and it was the old telephone conversation um and yeah so i'm going back to listen to that kind of stuff to see what i can kind of pull up and and talk nice. about it and whatnot uh and no doubt opinions will change on things as they have that's 25 years ago 26 years ago now um and that's not to say people have been lying or were lying but time moves on so yeah um it's an interesting one, that. And I think Sean Kirkpatrick has loaded us with the very thing that I think he's trying to say causes the problems for the UFO community. He's just doing the same on the other side. You know, full of yeah. conspiracy, loads of assumptions, overgeneralizing, and it's just the same thing. And and this is the thing that frustrates me when people say, oh, you just don't want to take Kirkpatrick's word that ET doesn't exist. I don't, I don't care what the conclusion is. I just want a good faith, transparent, scientific investigation of this subject. I don't, I don't want people to indulge in these. You know, if he thinks that maybe that group being responsible is all there is, then, you know, I could see what he means. But 
he said that there's other stuff going on and he just neglects to mention it here. So I just want someone that's not scared to just say, okay, these are the options. We've got this. That's one idea. We've got this. This is another idea. There is something here apart from all these things that there is data on. We've got video. We don't really know how these fears are floating or if there's fears and it needs more investigation. I feel like that would be a more reasonable statement here than just, nope, there's nothing to see. Everyone go away. It's boring. I'm going to work for Battelle in a private lab, you know? Yeah. Um, last two sentences on his op-ed um, Science cannot be left on the side of the road in the mad dash to uncover some great conspiracy Carl Sagan would expect no less and neither should the American people Personally, I'm not looking for science to be left on the side of the road I'm just looking for it not to be someone's version of science that's being done or looked at or used as the narrative I'd like to see actual science being done that one day we, we can look back and say this science we thought was true was wrong and mm-hmm. this is the case as has happened through every single decade and century of science Countless since science. it started. Yeah. Science progresses through kicking and screaming it seems and this just keeps happening over and over again and claims bear out over time like you know like I said Galileo earlier we're not the center of the universe the sun doesn't go around us then you've got, you know, everything from, I remember there was a theory of like outside the universe there's ether and everything's made up of ether and that didn't bear out, but it was a favorite theory at some point. Um, Some astronomer said that meteors didn't exist because he'd never seen a rock in the sky. And these kind of assertions of this is impossible seem really short-sighted by any scientist who should know their own subject. You know, it's very frustrating. I don't want people to just say ET exists and, you know, they'll appear when they appear. I just want a good faith investigation into this subject. And I don't see why that's a problem. Like the fact that it is such a problem kind of perks my ears up and kind of makes me go, what, what's going on here? Always say the same thing about Brian Cox bangs on about Galileo being one of his idols and heroes. And Galileo was persecuted for believing something. He believed in his hypothesis that the earth didn't go around the sun uh, the earth went around the sun not other way around and he was ostracized for it he was put under house arrest for it because that wasn't the thinking at the time generally um and lo and behold here we are you know we know that is the case and yeah. i just think people at brian cox would do well to remember you know here's someone you idolize that was persecuted for that maybe have a look at what potentially could be not even wrong with science but you know might explain some science we don't understand yeah and fill in some gaps speaking of science can I just read a quote from the Sol Foundation um, on the report that came out from Gary Nolan, Peter Scafish's organization? Um, Unidentified aerial phenomena are one of the greatest and least understood challenges the US government faces in the 21st century following decades of secrecy. Yesterday's report from the Department of Defense Inspector General shows that the Pentagon at least is still not doing enough about UAP. According to the report, the DOD lacks a coherent policy for detecting, tracking and analysing intelligence on UAP and is not receiving adequate cooperation from the US Air Force, which historically has had much knowledge about UAP. While this is no surprise to experts on the subject, the release of the report is a success for Congress on the UAP issue. A major problem with the lack of congressional oversight of UAP activities is that the Senate never knew to ask nominees the, uh, to relevant federal positions about the matter, which changed when Senator Kirsten Gillibrand questioned DOD IG Robert Storch on his seriousness about tackling UAP issues in his 2021 confirmation hearing. That was the famous one where she grilled him and was like, well, you, you better go and learn it, given I just gave you the job. Um, 
uh, and the final sentence was the IG report as a significant step toward undoing the damage done to Congress and democracy by government UAP secrecy. Um, last kind of word on that, Dan, before we move on to the Diana Pasilka quotes. Um, I mean, great report. Love that it highlights the the issues that need fixing. Like this is all we can do, right? Um, address them. The one thing I do want to emphasize is that this comes from, it was originally released, uh, we're talking, I think it was August 15th, 2023. So, and this is the result of a complaint put in by Lou Elizondo. This doesn't come from David Grush's complaints. This comes from Lou Elizondo's complaints. So if anyone has issues, go back, read what Lou said he was trying to do. This bears out. And it seems that the report backs up what he was saying as well. So really curious, really curious to see where the DOD goes from here um, and what happens now. Running short on time, we're just going to run through a few things uh, from Diana Pasilka's appearance on Joe Rogan. Uh, Diana Pasilka's been on the podcast a couple of times. Best accent in the whole of UFOs uh, for me. Um, So, yeah, it was good to see her get the platform to speak about her work, her opinions, and especially from her background as a religious historian. Um, Fascinating to hear her talking on there. And it was a really good conversation. Um, I won't go through the full thing. Rogan kicks off talking about abductions happening at night, Dan, and that it doesn't make sense. Why only nighttime? Why would it matter? Why would where our sun? Why would where our sun is make a difference? Um, but he does then say there's an element of it that seems real, as much as some of it seems BS. Um, Diana, and Diana has, corrected him, right? I love this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's like, it, it doesn't say they all, always happen at night, um, but she does say they don't have to be. I think the main point I took away from her, um, because she answers it really well, she's not condescending either. Um, uh-huh. And I get Joe Rogan does a lot of thinking out loud, but uh, people love that. You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's great at what he does. Um, yeah, she, she does mention that abductions don't have to be happening in a geological, physical location, as has been discussed, and Joe Rogan is dead open to that. That that confuses me a little bit sometimes, that he almost contradicts himself. He can be so... In the conversation he has with Diana, it's about two hours, 15 minutes long. It's brilliant. They go into quite a bit of detail about um, DMT, spirit molecules, spirit beings, ethereal beings, you know, uh, what you see when you're tripping or when you're taking various different psychedelics. And he's really open to that and experiences he's had. And he's even had his own like internal wiring repaired as such uh-huh. when he's when he's taken something. But yet he then really struggles with, you know, ah, alien abductions, what nonsense. And it's like, you're it's so funny, open isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But it's almost like he's wrestling with his own thing, which I totally appreciate though, because he's, yeah, he puts it out there, which is, which is fair and enough. I, I think it's important for people to see that struggle as well. That yeah. you don't have to accept this stuff at face value. You yeah. can digest it over time. This is a huge kind of subject with huge implications and so many different outcomes. And it's not just we're not alone. If we're not alone and it's a consciousness thing, then that's a whole bunch of stuff about consciousness that comes into it as well. And yeah. it, it completely changes how we think of who we are, the world around us, and so on and so forth. So I really value people who allow themselves to, to be heard thinking out loud and figuring things out. And even though he does contradict himself sometimes, that's okay. Like we change week to week too, you know? I, I get frustrated if someone's like, well, you said a year ago that this happened. It's like, yeah, yeah. But that's where I was a year ago. Time moves on. It's linear. That's the thing about time. It, so I've, I've put down as a note um, I don't see why something coming here wouldn't do it at night for me that indicates a level of covertness intelligence and potentially intent um, 
and I've I've made a note for discussion, Dan, just get your thoughts on it. Do you think people being able to attribute a logical explanation to the phenomenon or parts of it almost act as a screen or defense mechanism that if they can understand a part of it, then because they can understand it, it can't be true? Yes. And the I, I think that's present when you look over the decades at the data, you know, go back to the 60s and kind of look going forward. It seems like I, I don't want to say an education program in the sense of, you know, schools like we have, but it seems that once you're comfortable with a certain level of thinking about the phenomena, something else comes in and just pushes you a little bit further with it. Yeah. And it's this constant kind of curiosity feeding. And Valet has spoken about this, other people have spoken about this, that it seems to be, you know, goading us to follow it in certain ways. And and it's really interesting that that's, uh, that inconsistency of appearance and inconsistency of, inconsistency of message and growing of message is something of a fingerprint with this phenomena. You know, it's not that, you know, I saw an airship and you can set up sense to catch an airship. If you understand the airship, chances are next time you're going to see a saucer. You know, it, it, there's an escalation to this. And just because they don't understand it now doesn't mean they won't. It's like, uh, how many video games have you ever played where you have struggled really badly with one of the, the big bosses at the end of a level or a particular element of the game, famously Turtles on the Nintendo Entertainment System, had underwater level that was really hard to complete. But eventually, once you do it once, you fly through that every single time you play it and it becomes second nature. And like you say, mm-hmm. you then move on to struggling with something else. Yeah. So it, just because they don't understand it now doesn't mean they won't. But for a lot of people, it can take either putting in the work to understand it or they just give up and don't go back to it. And I think a lot of people, that's where they are with the UFO conversation in I mean, the public. It's kind of like something you could refer to as a great filter, right? Um, you, you know, the, the knowledge that's grown, people that are comfortable with it, that knowledge will kind of carry on. And the knowledge that you're not comfortable with it will fall away. It makes me think of what Gary Nolan says about... He has he has a method for ideas where he'll put like write a message on a bed of paper, pour in a cup of water by the side of his bed, sleep, and then when he wakes up, the problem is solved. It's that kind of thing. It takes a while to kind of seep in and kind of for, for you to actually you know properly grok because there are concepts here that we're just not comfortable with. So, for example, the, the nighttime abductions thing. There's an assumption there that we don't really realize is an assumption, and that is that they see visible light. They see the same part of the really thin slice of electromagnetic frequency that we do that we shows us the colors around us if they don't see that they wouldn't know night from day so there are all these you know concepts that are just inherent to us and our biology and how we live that don't necessarily translate but we try and put onto this phenomena and admittedly it has to talk in our terms to kind of meet us halfway right but it's interesting to keep that in mind as we're exploring this and to see the contradictions of, well, maybe it's not a perfect metaphor yet. We're getting there, you know? It used to be that it was religious when people were religious, you know, the the miracle of Fatima, the person it presented to Lucia and the other children, the person that the apparition of Maria presented to, they were religious. So it's going to speak in religious terms. Just like Sean Cahill says, if if Ben and Jerry talks about ice cream, they're going to talk about it in ice cream language. Hmm. Makes me hungry for Ben and Jerry's. I might get some tonight, actually. The factory's um, just down the road from me. <laughs> probably melt by the time it got to me. Um, <laughs> they they sidebar a little bit and talk about figures transcending what they do, Jimi Hendrix and such. They talk about drug use and perception through the decades. There's an interesting talk about how the government's... Uh, Rogan makes the point, and I'm paraphrasing, 
uh, as I just always assume I paraphrase folks, okay, if I ever get a quote wrong, um, how the governments are so unsure of the internet still as it threw a monkey wrench in propaganda and how propaganda was propagated. And I was like, is that right? Surely they just use the internet now to their advantage. It's been around in a few decades in the form we know it. And really, the internet is still in its infancy, how it works, that it's wired mostly. I know it's wireless as well, but wired connections here, but I am. Yeah. And it's still it's still relatively basic when you think of it, isn't it? Yeah, like at a certain point, we're not going to even think about logging into the internet, right? Like our phones at the moment, I have a satellite signal, little logo I have, a Bluetooth logo I have, a cellular logo I have, a Wi-Fi logo. At some point, that will just be you pick up this device and it's connected, no matter where you use it. You know, those kind of subtleties between different signals are going to go away. Um, and that will probably come, I don't know, like Neuralink and stuff like that. When that gets to a level where it's wireless and we're comfortable and we think of it in the same way as we do a smartphone now that it's just attached to us, you know, um, it'll probably come then where we don't even think about it. And when you take the internet away from kids these days, what happens? They kick off. They kick off <laughs> because it's like, I'm missing a limb. What, what is the world without this thing? I kick that's off. what we're going towards. <laughs> I, I kick off. Uh, I'm not like you, Dan, that can, you know, be one with nature. Uh, I, you know me, and five minutes with no internet and I panic. I, I mean, um, I have the shakes for five minutes, but then I get past it, you know. Yeah, not for me. Um, things go back to UFOs. They do talk about the pencils up term information being carried about. Diana mentioned how she had studied this uh, in religious studies. It goes back tens of thousands of years as an oral tradition and mm-hmm. how in many ways it can be far more reliable than written. Um, but again, she would know the detail on that. Um this is where I think it goes into a lot of information, just to touch on it, around what she's talked about with an American Cosmic, but she's reaching a huge audience here that haven't read American Cosmic or haven't... Do you know, Dan, some people haven't watched our interviews with me, which I I was blown away. What? Um, what? I can't believe you never brought it up on Joe Rogan. Um, but no, like it's great because some people will watch Rogan and go find more of Diana's stuff and they should. Oh, I think absolutely. she sold out our book prints already and needs to get more in, which is great. Um, but he asks her about the research of UFOs. Uh, what about the research of UFOs can be so dangerous? And she talks about Tyler in our book and very quickly... Diana and American Cosmic used fight club names for pseudonyms for some of the people to keep hidden. Um, we know now one of them, for example, was Gary Nolan. Tyler mm-hmm. is still the one that we don't know, but we do know is almost definitely Tim Taylor, who worked for Tesla, who worked works for NASA, who seems to have a very, very interesting job that I don't actually think would have a title, given what he seems to be involved in. Um, I, I, do, I do have to add a little bit here that... People might not know who have heard the story from Joe Rogan, and that is that the stuff with Tim Taylor, this guy we're talking about, there's 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 messing around in there. So, for example, um, in Chris's book, Chris Chris Bledsoe's book, he he relays that he was sent like a mission patch that was only given to people that was taken off planet by non-human mm. intelligence. Turns out, you can buy that on eBay. And it's given to anyone that's involved in a space shuttle launch. Not saying Chris is lying. I'm saying it was presented to him in a certain way. And certain truths were indulged. It's the intelligence community. Just assume that there's a little bit of mockery going on here, you know? Also, people can, and I'm not saying Chris Bledsoe did this, but people can take things a certain way, overlay 
but oh, that, that, this is something super secret. This is something just for me. This validates this experience. Yeah. And it's, well, does it really? You can look at it. For me, it's the whole, so I, 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 it's my dead relative's birthday. And on that day, a white feather drifted by, and that was them. Actually, it was the Audi that just smashed a pigeon at 85 miles an hour on the side <laughs> road next to you. And that was one of those pigeons. That may be. It may be the ghost of your dead relative throwing a feather past you, but if we rewind it back, it's probably the pigeon that splattered on the front of that. that yeah, idea. and that's kind of the the end of the pool we're playing in, right? That different can events, it be both? different people mean different things. Could and it be both? That's fine. Yes, an Audi, hit a, an Audi hit a pigeon at 85 miles an hour, um, but also they had that for that reason and it was all planned out and it was meant to be and you were meant to be there the pigeon who knows uh, exactly there, there was a, a great um presentation in new york by uh, dr charlotte rawling she she was one of the winners of the bigelow foundation's essay contest she was talking about synchronicities and she was, was she talking was about one of the top three that was the top three got prizes uh yes she was um and I was it, it was just <laughs> It, it was it was amazing and she spoke about um she told a story where someone had just read carrie the book you know the girl with the telepathic powers mm-hmm. and there was a moment where the person who read it was walking down the road and they looked at her house and they were like hmm if carrie was real i should be able to concentrate right now and just destroy this house in front of me i'm gonna try it it looks deserted i'm just gonna give it a go so they stand there and they try and at that moment the house starts collapsing they're in awe. They're like, whoa, like, oh my God, I've got telepathic powers. After 30 seconds, a digger comes smashing through the house. Now, does it? obviously the person didn't have telepathic powers, but there's a moment of magic in there that is just really provocative and interesting, isn't it? And, and she presented the idea, well, maybe this is how synchronicities are managed. Maybe the universe gives a logical explanation for something that we see as magic, and that's just how it goes, you know? Um, I, I thought it was really interesting and I'd recommend everyone to just, you know, search Charlotte Rawlings on YouTube. There are a few interviews with her. Have a read. It's about synchronicities and the systems and how many of us see magic in the mundane. And that might be the point. Please, please tell me someone asked the person driving the digger what their name was and their <laughs> surname was Carrie. That um, I, I was amazed. I was too amazed to ask that purely because I just finished reading Carrie when that story was told. <laughs> okay, but can you imagine? So again, though? a little magic in the mundane, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, so they um, touched on a few things. They talked about factions and UFOs. Um, the, I think the big conversation that really will grip to people for me was around the, the crash site visitation. Um, so she talks about Tyler, and we, we believe this to be Tim Taylor, taking her and Gary Nolan to a crash site out in, beg your pardon, a crash site out in New Mexico. They had to go blindfold. Um, people who took her, uh, the people who took her said likely there were four or five, four or more crashes from the 40s. They call it a donation site, where it's not actually a crash site. We've, we've heard this discussed before. If you go back and listen to any of Diana uh, Pasulka's interviews, read uh, American Cosmic. If you go back and want to listen to the one I done with her, fantastic. I'll put the link in the description. Um, but she talks about these like gifting fields. That gifting the fields. Idea, that's yeah, the idea that these things aren't crashing. So that argument of you know why would these things travel so far and crash when they're so advanced? Well, maybe they're being given to us. And it's our, you know, that also was an interesting idea that, and I may have brought this up before, I don't think it's a new thought exclusively to me. It was at that moment. Um, But the idea that these sites 
So, for example, Roswell, you would think that they clear it up and then they leave and the site's just there. But are there sites that these things happen on a regular basis? I don't know. Is that the thinking? And they literally stay there and don't allow the site to ever be moved. It'd be kept private, you know, fencing around it, all that kind of stuff. Because that seemed quite an interesting idea to me that it's almost like an, an interdimensional or intergalactic letterbox or drop-off yes. point. So John Keel spoke about these things, and he called I knew them you were going to mention windows. John Keel. I knew you were going to mention John so Keel. So he, he originally called them bases, and this is where the whole idea of alien bases comes from. Bases and mountains, bases, you know, bases like our military bases being yeah. run by aliens. He later changed the name because people were picking up on it in the wrong way. What he meant was a window that in certain areas, at certain times, when certain things happen that we don't know because we haven't done the scientific investigating – it creates a condition where something can come through from somewhere else. That's apparently a regular thing. Apparently every state has two to 10 windows, he said. Um, And there would be repeated patterns Wednesday, about nine o'clock in December. I think it was like 23rd. um, And also one day earlier in the year that constantly these things just happen like clockwork on the same day. So, I mean, one, that kind of shoots the lack of repeatability idea in the foot, right? That science can't study it because these things don't happen. It's just, well, the time scale is just longer. You just haven't looked at it for long enough to understand the pattern. Um, but two, it, it also suggests, are, are things being dropped through these windows to us on purpose? And when they come through, are they authentic or are they a distraction? You know, we have the ultra terrestrial theory that something's here in our oceans or sharing this planet with us. If that thing didn't want us to find it, it would keep dropping things to make us look somewhere else, right? Yeah. Like that, that would be the, so while we're all looking at these gifted fields and going, wow, they're from Zeta Reticuli, they could be behind a rock to our left, you know, with a door in the yeah. sand or whatever. Um, and it's just a psyop, essentially. We're victims of a psyop from the phenomena. Uh, look at this bright UFO really in the sky with the flashing yeah. light. So everyone look up at this and then they're doing exactly. something else. And, and then we see that as kind of it changing its paradigm, but really it's it's changing with us to give us the comfort and to make us think, oh, this is far away. It's not here with us all the time. And yeah, th- there's a lot of implications with that that are just kind of mind boggling, right? Something for down the line to do separately and chat about um they talked about uh, Tim Taylor recovering, uh, taking recovered pieces of, and she says, we'll call them craft. And I think others have said the same thing where it's almost like a, a lazy way of discussing it, but let's just call them craft for the sake of it. I think a few folks have said that. Um, and I get it. Uh, he, Tim Taylor Tyler, took recovered pieces on board the space shuttle to experiment in zero gravity on them. Um, and Joe Rogan brings up the metamaterials and how the way they're layered like the the magnesium bismuth samples yep, and stuff, right. they think can only be made in zero gravity. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean the Chinese, the Americans, private industry are doing stuff on their own in space? 100% sidebar. They, and Secret they absolutely happen. are as well. That's yeah. a new form of manufacturing. There's a company in Wales you can go to right now. They're making little manufacturing satellites that they can chuck it up into orbit and it'll construct a material in zero gravity. Um, they talked about how the crash site looked like they do on TV, and that's where the X Files got it from. Talked about the X X Files having an insider on their show. 
That um, is the first episode of season 11, how the episode opens. There's like a crash saucer. That's specifically that. Also, ATIP is mentioned at that point. Mulder mm-hmm. gets a text from Harry Reid saying, the ATIP news just broke and it's referring to the article. The article came out just before that happened, but apparently there was an insider. That's where they would be, kind of like Dark Skies. Yeah. Uh, Diana brings up national security element to this. Um, I won't go over too much more, folks. Go and check it out. Uh, but the do 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 do. Oh, funny that to confuse and misdirect people. I thought this was interesting. Um, and she might have said this in a book and I forgot. But they they dropped tin cans all over the crash site in the fifties. So if anyone came across the site when they were potentially finding metal that was meta material, they would come across tin cans as well and just think it was crap basically um and a lot of this stuff is potentially way underground as well because of impact and whatnot so uh, they talked about frog skin type materials crunching back up like the old roswell stuff so yeah mm-hmm. all really interesting um rogan made a really good point finally dan about the um the vatican with the pine cone statue there's also mm-hmm. a pine cone in the pope staff and this is connected to the pineal gland um joe rogan again dives into ufo friendly mode going you know that's our connection to the gods and um, which was really open talked about dmt beings and stuff so yeah do you know what definitely folks go and check it out really interesting dan i know you've not managed to see the full thing yet um but you've seen quite a lot of it uh, yeah and there's so much that diana talks about that i've read and listened to that you know this this one isn't for me i will watch it at some point but i'm so very happy that such a large new audience got to hear what yeah. diana had to say because she's one of the best orators on the subject that we have 100 percent um and yeah dan i'm going to have to wrap up folks uh as we've gone the other and we fannied on chatting at the start to the point uh, my wife is going out this <laughs> evening and she is ill and i need to watch the kids so dan with that we'll wrap up that is all for this episode thank you very much for tuning in don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform apple and spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm if you're checking the show on youtube please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform and finally you can listen to shows ad free and sponsor free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on apple spotify just search that ufo podcast premium youtube you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com thank you very much for listening folks it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of folk the little fucker hovered right inside of my window and when i shoved out the screen he made it an issue i don't think he expected me to see his ass but i'd had some champagne